your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 65 this morning. While you guys are turning there, let's ask the Lord to give us understanding and to bless our study. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we do want to sit and, and, and we want to encounter your fierce love for us, Father God. Lord, it's a love that doesn't just accept us where we are. It's a love that loves us too much to leave us there. Lord, you desire to bring us closer to you. You desire to mold us and to shape us in the image and reflection of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we turn into your word in Luke, we've come to understand that this is something called cross-fitness. Lord, we desire that. We pray that you would bless us in our study. Lord, teach us to continue to pursue that cross-fitness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title for the message this morning is Pushing Through. You see, in the journey to fitness, there's setbacks. There's things that can happen to derail us. I have experienced these in my workout journey, and in fact, it's a lot of the reason why I don't currently work out and why I've gotten to the position I was in. I used to be very, very active in working out. I used to um, be very habitual in what I did. The problem was is I also had an issue medically where every six weeks I would get sick for two weeks. So you build up a good habit and then it's broken quickly. And so it, it was just really hard to get back into it. And so now I'm at the point where when I try to get into it, the pain and the, and the joints and the age is catching up to me. It's not like it was when I was younger. Because I've had the medical issue fixed. I had my tonsils taken out. had my tonsils taken out, and I haven't been sick since. That was back in 2015. And so, but there are setbacks that happen to derail us. Those who achieve their fitness goals are those who can push through the difficulties. Those who fail to achieve it are those who succumb to the difficulties and, and let it finally and completely stop them. So one of the ways to push through and achieve your goals despite the difficulties is to have a picture of the end game, the goal in sight. Constantly evaluate everything in light of that. Is your current situation worth what you are striving for? Or is what you're striving for worth more? Because if it's worth more, keep pursuing it. Your goal has to be valued higher than your situation. So this morning in our passage from Luke, we come to a time where Jesus is going to be arrested. The cross is imminent. As we come nearer to the end of our series in CrossFitness, it bears reminding us that our journey of CrossFitness will not end when we close the book of Luke. We must continue in it as we live for Christ in our lives. One of the things we need to learn and grasp hold of is how do you persevere in the Christian life? We need to learn how to push through the difficulties that seek to derail our crossfitness. I can't tell you how many people I've come across who have had tragedy strike, have had difficulty strike, have had setback strike and upsets that causes them to quit God, blame God, and otherwise find a way to make it God's fault as opposed to come to God and be comforted by God. Jesus gives us the perfect example to follow of not allowing situations and difficulties and friends and disciples to derail us. You see, in spite of the pain that Jesus is going to face, he doesn't quit. He's going to push through it. And the disciples do the same. Though the disciples fail him, we know later on their story of triumph because they continued in it. They didn't fail Christ and say, that's it, I guess I'm done, I'm not a Christian. They got back up and they said, you know what? I may have failed, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing it. And then we have books written by Peter, who once denied Christ, but then later proclaimed Christ to the point where he gave his own life for Christ. So let's uh, read this together, and let's let God show us how we can push through and press on in our journey of crossfitness. Starting in verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. He also said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. So they seized him, they led him away, and they brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. And he says, man, I am not. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned, looked at Peter. And so Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. He went outside and he wept bitterly. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. There's many setbacks. There's many things that we can do to derail our ability to push through. And so we're going to look at some of them. One of them is denial. We fail to push through because we deny the reality of the situation. Jesus pushed through, though he himself was denied. Let's look again what he says to Peter. Verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he said to him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. Then when you jump down to verse 54, it says, they seized him, Jesus, and they led him away. They brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him. 
after a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. He says, man, I'm not. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. He went outside and he wept bitterly. I want you to notice something. Jesus starts off, he says, Simon, Simon. Up to this point, what has he always called him? He's always called him Peter. Usually when Jesus calls Peter, Simon, he's addressing Peter who's going to respond and act in his flesh. On top of that, he says, Simon, Simon. He's saying, Simon, like, listen to me closely. Anytime something's repeated in the Bible, it means pay attention. Jesus calls out to Simon to get his attention. And he informs Simon. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You see, Jesus literally tells Simon, Satan has asked to have you in order that he might grab you by the shoulders and shake you and sift you from a winnowing fan. Jesus then says, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Notice that Jesus already knows what's going to happen. I pray that your faith will not fail. He says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, Satan has asked for you, and I pray that your faith will not fail you. When you falter, which is why I think Jesus called him Simon. He's saying, when you falter, pay attention to what I'm telling you. You see, normal shifting of wheat, normal winnowing, you only want to remove the chaff. You want to do it in such a way that the chaff goes away and the wheat stays with you. Satan's desire for Simon Satan's desire for all disciples is when he sifts them, he doesn't want anything to remain. We need to understand that because Satan is not someone who is, has any of our best interests in mind. He has nothing in mind for us except to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a difficult thing to grasp why Jesus didn't just stop Satan's attack, isn't it? But that's true in our lives, isn't it? Sometimes Satan asks to sift us And Jesus doesn't stop it. What do we do with that? Do we get mad? Do we blame God? Do we say, Jesus, I can't follow you anymore because you let this happen? Ultimate authority. Jesus could have stopped it. Instead, Satan's allowed to sift. But remember this, Satan was given a place to tempt Jesus. We see this dilemma that happens in the spiritual realm in the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? He says, From roaming the earth, walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and surely he will curse you to your face. Satan knows people pretty well, doesn't he? It's easy to bless God when things go well. Can we still bless and serve and worship God when things aren't going well? Because he's God, whether things are going great or they're going bad. God says very well, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. Understand this, that Satan may be permitted to tempt, but he wants to do so much more. But Satan cannot do what he wants because he is not almighty. He is not the equal opposite representation of God. 
He is a created being under the authority of God, limited by God. And you can see this simply because Satan asked to sift Peter like wheat. He asked to ask for each one of us. And you know what happens when he asks? God evaluates us and God knows where we're at and God knows our faith. Do you think God will ever put you in a situation where you're going to fail? He's going to protect you until the moment he knows that your faith is enough to carry you through. And then he's going to allow it to come. Because an t- untested faith is worthless. It's when your faith is tested that you know it's real, that it becomes like solid gold. Jesus wasn't powerless to help Peter. Okay? Because Jesus says, Satan asked to sift you like wheat. He doesn't say, he asked to sift you like wheat, and I also asked that he wouldn't, and I was overruled. I'm sorry. What did he say? He answered, he said, I've prayed for you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, prayer is the weapon we need to wield against Satan and his sifting so that our faith will not fail. We need to understand that. We've been given a glorious privilege and the ability to pray. We've been given the ability to come into the throne room of God. We've also been given the ability to come before God and pray for things that we may not even know that we need so that we can be prepared for when Satan wants to sift us. But if we're in denial, we'll react like Peter did. How did Peter react to the Lord telling him this? Was he like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for praying me, praying for me. You know, I, I, I needed it so much. I need someone to pray for me. No. He didn't say, I feel better knowing that you've gone before the Father to stand in the gap for me. Peter brushes off the concern and instead denies that his faith could fail. He instead asserts, he says, I'm ready to go to prison and to death for you. You don't need to pray for me. I'm Peter. Peter was in denial of the spiritual reality and the spiritual warfare. When we're in denial of the spiritual reality and the spiritual warfare, we'll be like Peter. And instead of trusting Jesus, we're going to trust how we feel. Peter felt brave and confident in that moment, but here's what happens. Trusting feelings over Jesus causes denial not only of reality, but also of him. We need to understand that when Jesus tells us something in his word, he's telling us the truth. Our feelings cannot override that. All it does is put us in denial. Feelings are like buses. Wait long enough and there'll be another one coming along. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fail, not to fall. You see, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And after Jesus is arrested, as they take him to the high priest's house, we learn from other gospel accounts that Peter and John follow along closely. We also learn that John, in his position of where he's at, has access to the high priest's courtyard area. That's how they're in that area. And as they're following along, there's a servant girl, a a, a servant, think about this, a servant girl, someone who's not seen as high in society, someone who like, we see people all the time when they tell us something, uh, usually we don't take everything with a grain of salt, right? We go, who are you to say that to me? But apparently her's going, I recognize you, you were with Jesus. He feels the need to respond. And he says, no, I wasn't. He, He says, woman, I don't know him. And then someone again says, you're one of them too. And he goes, man, I am not. An hour later, another kept insisting and even uses the dialect of speech as being that of a Galilean. Now he's identified in the same region as where Jesus came from. And Peter says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. The other gospel accounts actually say that he vehemently denied it, even cursing. And immediately while he's still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at the rooster crowing, what you see is this picture across a courtyard. Jesus locks eyes with Peter. As they lock eyes, the rooster crows. Peter remembers. And now 
even though he denied Jesus' words, he remembers that Jesus spoke the truth. And his denial led to failure. But I think now he also remembers Jesus' other words that say that your failure will not lead to your ultimate fall. So he goes outside and he wept bitterly. The second thing that will derail us, the second thing that we need to push through is a lack of understanding. It's a lack of understanding. In verse 35, Jesus then talks to the disciples. He says to them, when I sent you out without money bag, without traveling bag, without sandals, did you lack anything? No, nothing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. Then we jump down to when Jesus is arrested. Verse 49 says, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. How many times have we heard a word from the Lord, thought we were acting upon it, only later to find out we weren't? What do you do in that moment? Do you say, that's it, I'm never following God again? I'm never going to try and follow his word because I messed it all up? No, we keep trying, don't we? You know what the beautiful thing about God is? He is the God of second chances. I have this favorite song of mine. It's by Stellar Cart. Um, it probably dates me now. Um, they're a uh, Christian punk band, pop punk. And uh, they have a song, it's called Second Chances. And the chorus of it goes, "If there will always be second chances. And if there's always second chances, then you're always on your first try. And it's just kind of reminding you that just try again. Keep trying again. Don't ever allow your failures to become ultimate even when it comes from a lack of understanding. God is not going to leave you in a place of not understanding. So Jesus asked the disciples about their previous missionary journeys. He said, when I sent you without all the necessities, did you lack anything? They said, no, we lacked nothing. Jesus is saying, things are changing. I sent you out before without anything. Now you need to be prepared for everything. In fact, if you don't have a sword, you should sell your robe to buy one. Because what is written about me must be fulfilled in me. What was written about him was that he was counted among the lawless. Where that comes from is Isaiah 53. See, Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he, was willingly, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. If you read Isaiah 53 before this, what does it say about Jesus? He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed. That he was wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. He's telling the disciples, look, when I first sent you out, people were so glad I was in the world. They welcomed you. They were hospitable to you. Now he's saying that when you go out, They're not going to receive you the same way. So is Jesus telling them to buy a sword so that they can meet violence with violence? Because that seemingly contradicts his other teachings in which he says, love your enemies, and if someone smites you on the face, to turn your cheek to the other side so that they can hit you there also. I don't believe that Jesus is advocating violence to meet violence. I do believe he's saying the situation is changing and they need to be prepared and they need to change their preparation also. I think Jesus is saying, I'm on the point of departing you, and when I'm gone, things are going to be different. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be counted as a transgressor. No longer will people accept me as the Messiah because they're going to see me as a rebel. I think what Jesus is saying is that prior to this point, the disciples were like children. All their needs were met. All their needs were cared for. Everything was provided for that they needed. Jesus is saying that childhood has passed and you now must adopt manhood and responsibility for yourself. 
He says, he that hath no sword is unprepared for difficulty, unprepared for danger, unprepared for battle. And so he's saying, you need to understand, you need to sell your garment for the battle is sure to come. You see, he's speaking figuratively. He's saying, you need to be ready for the battles and the difficulties. Do not kid yourself. Don't be in denial of the situation. Sell your garment. The battle is sure to come, and when it does, prepare so that you can be victorious. And the preparation for victory is more valuable than a robe. Know the battles are coming. Be ready. That's what he's telling them. Know the battles are coming and be ready. You see, the disciples, now, Peter denied what Jesus said. Now the disciples are hanging on to every word Jesus says, right? They, he says, literally, we need to get a sword. So they bring him two swords, literally. They say, look, we got two swords. Jesus says that is enough. Now, there's many ways to look at what Jesus is saying to them, but I don't think in one minute that Jesus is actually talking to them like, that's enough of this, and I'm not talking to you no more. That's what a lot of people say he's saying. I don't think that's it at all. I also don't think he's saying that's enough. Two swords is all you need to defend yourselves. And then he's saying, I'm trying to tell you something, and you're hearing it literally, and we're going to have to like pick this up again later. So they go depart. The disciples are misunderstanding. And, and we know that they misunderstood because look what happens in the garden scene. In the garden scene, Jesus is being arrested. And at this point, the, the disciples, what do they say? Should we use the swords? <laughs> and then there's one disciple. He doesn't even wait for an answer. He's like, I got my sword and I'm swinging. He's the uh, impulsive disciple. That was his spiritual gift. He was impulsive. We know that to be Peter. Uh, Luke didn't mention it, but the other Gospels tell us it was Peter. In fact, the other Gospels also tell us the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus responds, no more of this, and heals the servant's ear. The disciples didn't understand this is not the time to fight. Jesus isn't saying we can't defend ourselves. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't defend ourselves. What Jesus is trying to get them to understand is, you can't stop my death from happening. This is not the time for you to fight. You see, the disciples knew Jesus was saying you got to fight, but they didn't know where the fight was. So they were fighting to keep Jesus with them, not understanding that it's better if he goes, even though he's told them multiple times. The call is to be ready to defend the cause of Christ, not prevent it. You see, when we lack understanding, we fight not only with the wrong weapons, but also against the very cause of Christ. So what do we do when we lack understanding? Well, James tells us in his epistle, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Do you know what ungrudgingly means? That God doesn't go, off oh, here. He's not bothered when we come to him. But how many of us treat him that way? Lord, I'm sorry I'm here bothering you once again. I know how much you hate when I'm in your presence. He doesn't, that's not him at all. He loves to be in your presence. You see, James also wrote, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Peter here, using the sword of the world, he accidentally cuts off an ear. Right? It's actually believed that he attacked from behind. And it also says that Peter tried to lob off the head. But since he's such an unskilled swordsman, all he got was an ear. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? But Peter here, using the sword of the world, accidentally cuts off an ear. But later, Peter uses the word of God to pierce hearts. In Acts 2.37, it says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, he said, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was on the day of Pentecost, on the day that the church was born. Peter preached the message of Pentecost and told them who Christ was, and it pierced them to the hearts because he used the sword 
the word of God properly. You know what else we need to push through? Have you ever had anybody who is unreliable? Have you ever served alongside anybody who is unreliable? And in our flesh, we go, man, they're so unreliable, but we don't understand. We're the same way, just in different areas. Jesus had unreliable disciples. And if I was Jesus, which we're all glad that I'm not, but if I was Jesus, I would have been like, these guys don't even care what I'm doing. Why would I even go and do it? That's it, I'm not. I'm done. But Jesus pushed through. Jesus went to the cross still, even though his disciples deserted him. In verse 39, it says, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he, Jesus, told them, Pray that you not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. And he said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. We know this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is located, as you go down the Mount of Olives, there's a trail, and right off to your, I'm trying to remember, on the left, you enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where he prayed on the night in which he knew he would be betrayed. And it says that going off a ways, actually it says a stone's throw away, but I don't know how far that is because everybody throws a stone differently. So I'm like, is, is it talking like if a four-year-old throws a stone, or is it talking like if a baseball pitcher throws it? I don't know. But as he goes away and he prays on his own, what is his prayer? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. This is an example for us, because it's temptation that causes us to be unreliable. Jesus knew the power of temptation. And the way that you overcome it is through prayer. Jesus actually had said to pray, and he's, the original language means keep on praying. It's not a one-time deal. When you're faced with temptation, praying for it once isn't going to solve it. It's something you have to pray over and over again. We have to teach our flesh to be in submission to our spirit. Literally, labor in prayer because the temptation is ongoing. Did you know that temptation, when you avoid it, doesn't go away? It actually increases in intensity. And this is actually superb. Like, thinking about this, understand, Jesus never once gave in a temptation. So the pull for him to give in a temptation just continued to multiply. And the way that he avoided it was through prayer. In his final hours, Jesus faces temptation in the garden and don't miss the significance of it. Sin entered the world because man was tempted in the garden. And he fell to the temptation in the garden. Jesus is also tempted in the garden. But now by going to God through prayer, he overcomes it. And this is why the writer in Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Is it tempting to not want to die? Very tempting, right? Like that's all our bodies are designed for the preservation of self. In his prayer, we see the heart of Jesus and the necessity of the cross. You see, Jesus is asking the Father. He says, if you're willing, take this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus prays for the cup to pass, but he submitted himself to the Father's will. The temptation is to forsake the plan of God 
and not endure what was asked in the plan. You see, the plan was that the son would go to death bearing the sins of the whole world. If there's any other way that sinners can be saved other than me going to the cross, reveal it to me now. He says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup, but the Father is not willing that any should perish, and there is no other way for salvation other than Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus had to die. Jesus knew the Father's will, though. Why the agony? Because Jesus is resolving to lay down his life and endure what it meant to take on the sins. Jesus would become as an enemy of God and drink the cup of the fury of the Father. This cup has been mentioned over and over again throughout Scripture. In Psalm 75, verse 8, it says, There is a cup in the Lord's hand full of wine, blended with spices, and he pours from it, and all the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself up, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk the cup of his fury from the Lord's hand, you who have drunk the goblets to the dregs, the cup that causes people to stagger. And Jeremiah 25, 15 says, This is what the Lord God, the God of Israel, said to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations to whom I'm sending you drink from it. Jesus was going to drink that cup of the Father's wrath for us. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came to a point of decision. He decided long ago that his mission was to do the Father's will and he was going to die on the cross. But right here, right now, in the Garden, he's deciding once for all that he will drink that cup and all that it contains. God did not take the cup from Jesus And we struggle with that, right? We have to push through this right here where we pray for God to take something away, but he doesn't. We pray for God to intervene, but he doesn't. But you know what he did do? He strengthened Jesus so that he could drink it. You see, God sent an angel from heaven and strengthened Jesus. The anguish was great, causing sweat of drops of blood. And we have this cute little saying that we like to say, that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. That's wrong. That's not even scriptural. It says God doesn't give us more than we can handle without giving us a way to handle it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. We just have to understand that God is where we go to for the strength to bear it. That's how we push through. Jesus arising from prayer, he comes out, and what does he find? His three closest disciples that he brought with him, that he said, stand, watch, pray, that ye not enter into temptation. The ones that he said to, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death, remain here and stay awake with me. He said, I'm struggling here. Can you stay with me? Have you ever had friends that you said, I'm struggling, I need you? And then you find out they're not there for you? Christian brothers and sisters that weren't able to be there for you? What did it do? Did you allow it to shipwreck your faith? Has it caused a chasm between you and God? It shouldn't. Our relationship with God should never be dependent upon other people because we need to understand other people are unreliable. Only God is faithful and true. And when we understand that, it also allows us to be more forgiving for other people. You see, Jesus understood people. He said he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. He came three times. And in the final, it says, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, and Jesus identifies the problem, the flesh is weak. We need to be feeding our spirit and making our flesh submissive to the spirit. 
Jesus couldn't even count on the disciples to pray with him. They couldn't even pray for their own temptation. And so what we find is that all the disciples, because they wouldn't pray for their own temptation, you know what they did? They didn't push through. They fled when Jesus was arrested. They all fled. In fact, it says that they fled so fast, someone forgot their clothes. In Mark 14, verse 50, it says, Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Now naked in ancient times isn't naked in our times, okay? They still had undergarments, but in the sense of modesty and stuff, they were considered naked. But that's how far they fell in temptation. They did not want to be caught as one with Jesus. Now, unreliable friends and being betrayed by friends are two different things. Jesus, even though he was betrayed, still went to the cross. Even though we're betrayed, we still need to follow God. We need to push through. We can't let it finally finish us. In verse 47, it says, while he was still speaking, this is when he was giving them the speech about buying a sword. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve, you know why it says one of the twelve? remind us that Judas was counted among the disciples of Jesus. So one of the twelve, Judas, was leading them, and he came near Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the temple police, the elders who had come for him, he said, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? He's all, every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. Then after he's arrested, they took him away. It says the men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him, blindfolding him. They kept asking, prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. Jesus was betrayed, and this is what he suffered because of that betrayal. How many of us have suffered less than that because we felt betrayed and reacted out of the flesh? We cut off all ties. We, when we're betrayed at church, what's the first thing we do? We quit going to church. When we're betrayed in a Bible study or, or any other thing where, where God is intending to grow us and whatnot, what do we do? We, we quit it. While still speaking to the disciples, the mob comes. Judas comes to the front because he's leading them. And he comes up to Jesus and, and he, the other gospels say, Messiah, and he, he like comes and wants to give him a big old hug and he goes to give him a kiss. The kiss of friendship. But Jesus isn't caught off guard. He says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He's challenging Judas. He's calling it what it is. He says, you're betraying me. But it has no effect on Judas. He still does it. There can be no mistake of what Judas is doing. Judas willingly chose to betray Jesus. And he knew full-handed that he was betraying the Son of Man. Jesus didn't leave it to uh, ambiguation, being ambiguous. I don't know if I just made up a word. He's betraying the Son of Man with a sign meant for intimacy, closeness, and endearment. But you know why he did it with a kiss? That was a secret sign between him and the temple guards. But Jesus, what did he do? He identified the secret. He said, Judas, I know. Jesus was betrayed by a close friend, a disciple. He washed Judas's feet. Jesus was also betrayed by the law. How many of us get indignant because we expect the law to protect us? There's only one who protects us. The law will fail us. We cannot rely on the law to protect us. And I think we're seeing a lot of that today. I think God is trying to prepare us for the fact that, you know, there's going to come a point in time where you're going to be against the law and like Jesus, counted as a rebel. Jesus was betrayed by the law. The law stated it was illegal to arrest or try anyone after dark. Yet they arrested him at night, and he'll go on trial before anyone's aware of it the next day. 
also, he's convicted on the testimony of a witness who's paid. You're supposed to be convicted on the testimony of two witnesses. They only had one. And Jesus tells him, he said, oh, I've been in the temple every day, during the day, when you could have arrested me anytime you wanted. Why didn't you come then? Because he knew. They feared the people. Matthew 24, verse 9 and 10, what did Jesus warn his disciples? They will hand you over to be persecuted. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away. They will betray one another, and they will hate one another. We can't allow betraying to cause us to leave our faith in God. It's proclaimed that it's going to happen to us. Matthew 24 is what he's telling them of what the end times will look like. Matthew 24, 12, it says, The lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. You know the thing about betrayal? You know why it hurts so much? Only those close to you can do it. Only those close to you can do it. People are always capable of it. doesn't matter. Every single one of us in this room right now, we are all capable of betraying. Whether we do or not, isn't the issue. We're, we're all capable of it. You know who's never capable of it? Jesus. God. Never fails. Never betrays. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It may seem like a time of darkness. Jesus said, this is your hour. The dominion of darkness. Notice that he says, this is your hour. He doesn't say, this is all your time until you're done and you've been satisfied. He said, this is your out. This is all you get. Because that time's limited. Jesus told him, this is your hour because it must be fulfilled what is said about him, that he would be counted among the transgressors. Matthew 26, verse 54, it says, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? If he wasn't arrested, if he wasn't betrayed, how could the scriptures be fulfilled? We as Christians in the end times, when it says that we will be handed over, we will be betrayed, we will be killed, how can it happen without the Scriptures being fulfilled? It has to happen that way. But you know what Jesus didn't trust in? The betrayal didn't hurt him because in his faith, in his following God, the betrayal didn't hurt him. Why? Because he trusted in God, not in men. When we trust in men, when they betray us, when they fail us, when they leave us, it will destroy our faith because that's where our faith was at. But when our faith is in God, it doesn't matter what happens to us because God is still with us. Never mistake the arrest of Jesus for anything other than a willing surrender. The moral value of the atoning death of Christ consisted of his willingness to die. Without the willingness, he couldn't die for others. Jesus didn't get derailed by any of this. His mission has always been to go to the cross and to die for the sins of the world. Sure, he had disciples who denied him. Sure, he had disciples who misunderstood him. He was betrayed by them. But none of that mattered because Jesus was focused on what God wants. In order to push through things, we can't let things derail us. We have to keep focused on being crossfit to the point where other things don't matter. If our ultimate goal is being crossfit and being made into the image of Christ, reflections of Him to the glory and honor of the Father, that has to be our highest goal. Nothing else can come close to it so that we're always pursuing that. Don't base your walk on others whether it's what they do or what they don't do. Base your walk and your continued walk upon dependence in God. Jesus exemplified what we need to do in order to push through. In every single one of those places where failure can happen, Jesus said, pray, pray. We need to pray. That's the main thing we need to do in all times. Satan wanted Peter. Jesus prayed. Are we praying for those who Satan's asking for? Or do we see people as they're failing, as they're struggling, and we're just like, wow, that really stinks. If only they were closer to God. 
then they wouldn't be bothered by this. We want to be ready for the spiritual battles. We need to pray. We don't want to be caught off guard. You know what happens that, that affects people the most is when the spiritual battle comes, they weren't prepared. They weren't expecting it. They said, life is going great. I don't ever expect anything bad to happen. But let me tell you this. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us the American dream. There is no promise that you're going to have a good, healthy, happy life. There is a promise that people will hate you, that they will persecute you, but God says, I will love you, and I will ultimately save you and resurrect you. That's the promise from Christ. Do we want understanding in what God's word says, in what God is asking for us, in what God wants to do with our lives? We need to pray. Anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And to withstand temptation, we need to pray. And God will give us the strength that we need to push through. When we fail, we also need to understand we need to pray. We need to come back to Jesus because Jesus stands ready to forgive and to receive you unto him once again. Your failure is not ultimate unless you don't go to Christ. For those of you that are listening, that are here this morning, that have never given your lives to Christ, you have yet to start on that journey to cross fitness. But even then, you know what you need? You need to pray. You need to pray to receive Jesus. You need to pray, repent, and ask him for forgiveness for your sins, that you might stand justified before the Father, that he would be your Lord and Savior and that you could live your life for him. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you um, in, in the example of Jesus, Lord. There's so many things that can happen in this world, Father. And, and, and you could have listed each, each thing individually, but Father, you give us a principle to follow. And it's that in every situation, if we would just call out to you, if we would just come before you, you would be there for us in it. Not to save us from our situation, but to keep us unto yourself. To strengthen us as we need. To help us to resist the temptations that come across. Lord, you've given your people a glorious privilege to come into your throne room. Help your people to stand. Help us all individually to know that we have unlimited access to the God of the universe and you are not bothered when we come to you, but you invite us. And you invite us in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, that don't know Jesus, that your spirit would be leading them to pray right now, to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, to repent of their sins and be forgiven by him. Lord, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.